Good, good. Uh, this morning we're finishing up our series on prayer. Uh, we started, uh, this is the seventh week we've been doing it, so that was six weeks ago we started this series. And uh, next week we're starting a new series talking about the God of Moses. So I'd encourage you, if you want to open the book of Exodus next week sometime as we prepare, or if you're just lazy and want to watch the movie with Christian Bale, uh, that'll help somewhat too. So either option, you've got two options for next week as we start our series about the God of Moses. And then in two weeks on Father's Day, pretty excited, I'm going to bring my dad with me. And so my dad and I are going to team preach, partly just so I don't forget to mail his Father's Day present. But I think it should be a lot of fun, and that's, a, that's in two weeks. This morning we're going to be finishing the series, doing some more nuts and bolts stuff about prayer, some more specific stuff about how you really start with it. And so we're going to be in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. If you want to turn there now, that's where we're going to be this morning. So let's pray one more time. God, we thank you that you are a God who is for us, that you are a God who loves us. And I pray that we would learn to live out of that that we wouldn't move without you, that we would first hear your voice calling us your beloved sons and daughters, and that before we go anywhere, it would be out of a place of knowing that simple truth, that you are a God who is for us. And we remember that around the tables, and we participate that around the tables, and we celebrate that in song, and we hear that in Scripture, and let us live that out. Rest in your name. Amen. So as we've been talking about prayer, we wanted to establish what prayer isn't. Uh, A lot of times when we think about prayer, we think of this idea that prayer is like this thing, if you do it well enough, that you'll always get around the detours of life. If you pray correctly enough, then you'll never have any struggles. But if you look at the life of Jesus, it doesn't work that way. Jesus did end up on a cross, which was quite troublesome for him. Sometimes we think of prayer as this ability for us to take our wish list to a Santa Claus-like divine being who gives us what we want. But if you look at the life of Jesus, like I said before, he ended up on a cross, so he didn't always get what he wanted either. And so what we have to have is a bigger picture of what prayer is and prayer can be. Uh, One of my friends, a psychologist and great thinker, uh, wrote this recently. He said that prayer isn't so much a tool but it's an identity. It's a mode of being. It's a way of relating to the world. And I think he's spot on. That's what prayer is. It's a way of relating to the world. We pray so that we can be people who live in awareness of God all around us. So that we can see everything as a gift. Even the air that we breathe, it is a gift. Even when you describe what air is incorrectly around your friends and they all correct you and tell you how you're wrong, that too is a gift because you become a kind of person that is shaped and formed to be grateful. That's a way of being in the world. Prayer is something that helps us to live in awareness of the voice of God that says that you are God's beloved son and daughter. And so that you live out of that identity. And so you are shaped to be a person who believes that you are loved and you are worthy of being loved. Prayer shapes you to be a person who believes that you can bring your struggles authentically to God. That God isn't going to be offended or God isn't afraid or God isn't scared of engaging in real dialogue with you. Which sometimes it's uncomfortable. 
Sometimes you have to express your frustration and your hurt, and God is big enough to handle that. But you can be shaped to be a person who has an authentic relationship with God because prayer isn't just a tool, but it's more an identity. It shapes who you are. It's just what you do. Okay, so The Rock has a new movie out called St. Andreas. Anyone seen that in here? Yes. Okay, I'm going to talk to you, Scott. So, now... I hadn't seen this movie, St. Andreas. He's, my stunt He's your stunt double. A lot of people think he looks like you if you just got that chest tattoo, which I know you're working on. But I haven't seen it. And so I was in L.A. recently, and I emailed, or I sent him a tweet. Surprisingly, he didn't respond. So I don't know if this is true. But I'm assuming this is this action hero movie. He's like this uh, firefighter guy who rescues people. And I would bet my entire life savings on the belief that at some point in the movie, someone says, thank you, Mr. Rock, for saving us. And he says something like this. It's just my job. It's just what I do. Because that's what action heroes are supposed to say. Now, truth be told, I wrote that two weeks ago. And in my effort to always be prepared, I went and watched that movie on Friday night. And guess what? The very first line The Rock says when he opens his very large mouth, he says, it's just what I do. Like that was his very first line. That's, I just say people, that's what I do. And the goal of prayer is that it's not just a tool, but it's an identity. And so when you pray, it's just who you are. When you live in awareness of the gift that is life, it's just who you are. When you live in awareness that you are loved, it's just who you are. When you have an authentic dialogue with God, it's just who you are. That's part of the way Luke tells the story of Jesus. Jesus is always praying because it's just what you do. And so it shows up in the big moments, but also in the small moments. In the good moments and in the frustrating moments. Because it's just what you do. I don't know if I've told you guys how much I love my new dog. Have I told you guys that? No, because I don't, okay? Uh, we, we got this dog. Okay, let me tell you a backstory. I was in Nashville a couple months ago, and Lindsay says, well, you know, uh, my three-year-old's sick, Adeline's sick, and the doctor wants to run tests, and if it was just me, the doctor would have said, we're just running tests, but since Lindsay's a nurse, they're saying, we're going to run the test for leukemia. Now, every, like 99% of the world would have just been told, it's just tests to make sure she's okay, and she's fine, she does not have leukemia and all that, but my wife says that to me, and my first thought is, my three-year-old can't have leukemia. Let's get her a dog. Like, that is the only reason I decided, because there was a brief moment when I was scared my daughter had cancer. Like, well, let's give her a dog. That'll make her feel better. And so we get this dog. And literally, my wife brings it home. The dog runs in my house, goes number one. And so I usher this dog outside as my friend Luke is there with me. And Luke and I let the dog outside. Within two seconds, the dog has broken out of the fence. He's running away. Luke luckily runs out front, catches him, brings him inside. So the dog has gone number one, broken out of the fence, and then he's inside. And what does he do? Goes number two. Okay, and he smells. Though, to be fair, that might have been Luke. I'm not sure, though. But that's, like, this is my first interaction with this dog. And so, uh, we have this little white furry thing, which is more cat than dog, in my opinion. And so, it's white. And so, when it rains, as it has been all the time, it, like, its paws get all muddy. So, every time it rains, I have to bring it inside. And so, I'm bringing it inside. It's muddy. I'm taking it to the bath to get all the mud off. And the dog is breaking out, running around, getting on the bed, getting mud. And I'm just so frustrated. But something weird happened in the midst of that. I took a breath and I realized this too is a gift. And I was like, no, it's not. But there's something subconscious in me that was trying to say, even in this, 
you're aware that this somehow is a gift and that's not me, but somehow there is an identity being formed because of prayer. That's ultimately what prayer is trying to do. I told you this, uh, this story last week, but there was a guy who went to his Hindu master and said, how do we become enlightened? And the master says to him, you can no more make enlightenment happen than you can make the sun rise. And so the disciple asks his master, then, well, why do we pray? And the master looks at him and says, so that when the sun does arise, you'll be awake. Prayer makes you live in this awareness that's all around you. It shapes you to be a certain kind of person. Okay, so that's the picture. That's the goal. That's what we're trying to do with prayer. And so the first part of this series, the first six weeks, I've been trying to just give this big picture of what prayer is. It's an identity. It shapes you. And so this morning, I want to give some just basic nuts and bolts of like, how do you do this? All right? Did anyone see the movie uh, Gravity? Sandra Bullock, she's in space, right? Do you remember that scene where like, she's floating away from Earth and she's all alone and she's about to, she thinks she's going to die and so she's like talking kind of to herself or maybe the, the ER doctor Clooney or whatever his name is who's floated off uh, and she says, would someone pray for me because no one ever taught me how to pray. So if you're ever in that situation, You're in a spaceship floating away from Earth thinking you're going to die because George Clooney's not answering your call. I don't want you to say no one taught you to pray. This morning I'm going to teach you to pray, okay? So that's what the whole morning is trying to accomplish. So if you know Sandra Bullock's email, send this to her so she won't be able to say that again in the future. Now the basic idea with prayer is that for some of us is that, well, you just do it. You just, well, you just, you just, you just pray. And so no one ever teaches us how to pray. And I was listening to a physical therapist recently talk about the way that we teach kids to run. And by, I mean, the way we teach, we typically don't do any teaching. We decide, just go run. And he says, what happens is we pick up bad habits. And so you have to unteach how we just naturally run so that someone can run correctly. The same thing can happen with prayer. If we're not taught, then we often have those prayers in which we think if we pray correctly, then we'll never go down the bad path in life and we'll never have adversity. And if we're never taught how to pray, sometimes we'll think that it is just this wish list you give to this divine Santa Claus. Prayer is more than that. So what we want to do this morning is just give you some basics on how to do that. So let's go to Jesus. Let's start in Matthew 6. And Jesus does some basic introduction about prayer. From the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus writes this. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues, not church plants, of course, And on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. And so in Jesus' like central teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these two things about prayer. One, don't do it in front of everyone, okay? A few weeks ago, I was uh, back in Florida, and I flew into the new airport in Panama City. Now, when I was there, it was just a field, and one of my friends was a lawyer who was kind of in charge of, like, building this airport. Not, like, with an actual shovel, but you know what lawyers do. And so during the, the, the groundbreaking ceremony, he says, Luke, I want you to say the prayer for it. 
which I was willing to do because, you know, he's my friend and he was working on a project and I'd love to help. But what exactly do you pray for when you're praying at the groundbreaking of an airport? God, when we want to get away, help us to do it without delay. So I say, I don't know, like, what, is, what is that prayer? And so, but that is like, you're in front of all these people and so you want to say a good prayer if you're in my shoes. Like, this is in front of a lot of people, so you want to have, a, like, you want to be on your A game. But Jesus says, when you pray, don't, don't do that, right? Don't, you don't do it. You don't sh- just be by yourself in private. You're not trying to impress anyone. And so don't feel like you have to keep on talking like the pagans. Now, Jesus referencing a, a precedent in the first century where people would just say a bunch of different gods as though they're like hedging their bets. And that's part of what Jesus is referencing when he says, don't babble on. But there's also something to be said about the disservice that happens when the majority of prayers that we see are from people on the stage. When you hear a worship leader who is talented enough to say this beautiful prayer and quote scripture, all while strumming a guitar, you go, I can't even strum a guitar and talk at the same time. How does he do that? And we start to think that you've got to pray like whatever lady or guy is on the stage. And that's not fair. Like that's unrealistic expectations. I was recently talking to a musician about like his new project. And I know nothing about music. And so it made me feel really insecure about asking about like, what were you trying to accomplish? Or what were you saying? And you're telling me about the sound because I know so little about music. And sometimes we have that same insecurity when we're trying to pray because we feel like I've got to sound like that lady on the stage who says these beautiful prayers. Don't. You don't have to say these long, poetic prayers that have these great theological truths and somehow they all rhyme together. It's not like that. But Jesus' disciples came up to him and said, well, what exactly do we say? In Luke's gospel, it's the Lord's Prayer that Jesus answers that question with. And we're going to read Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer here. If we keep on reading in Matthew 6, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so when asked the question, how do you pray? Jesus gives us the prayers that we have affectionately known as the Lord's Prayer. And for many of us who come from the Protestant tradition, we're not Catholic, we're Protestant, or the non-denominational tradition, we don't like these, what we're called by some people, liturgical prayers. These prayers are already written down because we feel like they're dead. We feel like there's no life in them. You're just repeating these words out of routine and there's no spirit inside of them. And I think that might be a fair critique for some. Now, the flip side of that argument is that when you pray free form, it's just your emotions. It's just however you feel that day. And so either you're empty with just words that have no emotion or all you are are emotion. And so there's both sides of the coin, but I think a better way to understand how to use prayers like the Lord's Prayer is to think of it like a trellis. Like you have this trellis and you put a vine on it, and the trellis itself has no life, but there's life that can organically grow, and you can have this vine that becomes this beautiful thing that fills it out when you put your own heart and soul into it. And ultimately, that is even what Jesus is doing, because there was a first century prayer that the rabbis used to pray called 
the Kaddish, the Kaddish, that actually sounds a whole lot like the Lord's Prayer. And so what we see Jesus probably doing is he's taking a common known prayer and he's adapting it to his own experience. And I would encourage us when we pray, if we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, that's a good way to do it. And so you pray this prayer and use this as a trellis, as a foundation that you can pour your life through. And let me explain what I mean by that. So if you're praying the Lord's Prayer and you say, Our Father who art in heaven. It's easy just to say the word, but if you learn to sit in it, it can speak to you. It can have life. And so when you say Our Father, maybe what you need to hear that day is that this journey of faith, which you and I are on, it might seem overwhelming to you. It might seem something like you're doing on your own and you can't keep going, but the hour in that moment can remind you that you are not alone, but there is a group of people doing it with you. Or maybe what you need to hear is our Father in such a way that it reminds you that you are maybe not all alone because you're being selfish and you think life is just about you and that God is just some private connection you have that no one else does. And if you learn to sit in this prayer, I'm telling you, it can have life for you. The thing is, we all have a liturgy. We all have a routine if we pray. And I guarantee if I heard every one of you pray for just a a couple days, I could write down and tell you what your liturgy is. God, take care of my family. Help me succeed in my job. Take care of my kids. Help this person who's in my family become a Christian. Whatever it is, we all probably have this same routine. And some of those things are beautiful. Some of them are maybe not so beautiful. But I would encourage us, if we're going to pick a routine, a trellis, a foundation to pray, I think Jesus's might be even better than the ones that you and I create ourselves. And so if you're going to start praying, that's a really good one to start with. And the other one I'd recommend, it's a short breathing prayer. And these are the two prayers that I personally pray all the time myself. And the second prayer is response to to Paul's text in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul gives us this seemingly uh, undoable command where he writes, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. And so Jesus says, I don't want you to quench the spirit inside of you. I want you to be a person of gratitude. And the way you do that is you pray without ceasing. Which used to be a really hard thing to do. Because you have life, you've got kids, you've got work, you're driving, you're not allowed to text and drive, so why can you pray and drive? It seems just as dangerous, right? Uh, but one of the things that has been going on in the Christian, Christian tradition for years are these basic breathing prayers. There's one that is a, uh, an adaptation from a text in Luke 18. It's called the Jesus Prayer, in which you say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you break that up for the first half when you inhale and the second half when you exhale. So you breathe and you say, Lord Jesus, and then you exhale and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we have records of this dating all the way back to the 6th century where Christians were saying a prayer just like this. In the 4th century, we have uh, some Christian fathers talking about the importance of arrow prayers, these short little prayers that you pray just as you're breathing. And this is probably 70% of my prayers is this basic prayer, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. 70% of my prayers is this. And there's a, there's a real benefit to this if you think about it, even just from a science perspective. In, in Psychology 101, they teach you about a guy named Pavlov who had these dogs. Have you heard of Pavlov, right? He had these dogs, and every time he was going to feed them, he would ring what? A bell, exactly. My dad would be so proud of you for knowing that. And when they would ring that bell, they had been so conditioned to, to drool because they were expecting the food. 
And if you learn to pray every time you inhale and then every time you exhale, what happens as you are breathing throughout the day? If you've said that hundreds of times in your own devotional time, maybe when you're bathing this dog that is really annoying to you and you stop and take a breath, you're doing the very same thing which you have been conditioned to do to connect you to God. Does it make sense? You're breathing constantly throughout the day. And if you learn to use that as a way to connect you to God, you are constantly going to be reminded that you are connected to the heavenly Father who is there for you. You are constantly surrounded by God's presence. You are experiencing this gift of life and it shapes you as a person. So those are the two prayers I would prescribe if you're going to start praying. The Lord's Prayer. Use this as kind of a foundation that you can pour your life through. And the second part is a breathing prayer. The Lord Jesus have mercy on me prayer. Now, one of the biggest issues I think anyone says when they pray is, I would like to pray, but my biggest problem is what? I get distracted. I get down to pray, and then all of a sudden I'm thinking about my to-do list, right? Does anyone else have that struggle? Uh, any fans of, uh, of Mad Men here? Mad Men fans, right? No? There's a TV show called Mad Men. Okay, let me tell you. I don't watch Mad Men, but I know at the, uh, the finale, which happened just a few weeks ago, you have this Don Draper character who's supposedly like doing whatever and like redeeming himself, and he's meditating. And like in the climactic scene, he's meditating, and all of a sudden, he thinks about a, something from work. Like he's this ad agency guy, and he has a thought about Coke. Like he's thinking of this, like this new pitch for work, which is a beautiful like, reminder. Like that's what stro- the struggle is for most of us when we pray. You want to pray, you want to focus on God, but other things come up in your brain. In the Christian tradition, they talk about this as banana brain. It's like there's a banana tree over your head and there's a monkey running around. And every time you seem to be in the middle of a prayer, a monkey steps on a banana and falls down and interrupts you. Monkey brain. And so there's two basic uh, responses for that. Uh, One is just write the stuff down. Like have a piece of paper with you right next to you. When you have an idea, you have to do something at work or you need to talk to someone or you need to put this on your list, just write it down and move on. I pray underneath the dry race board and so I can do that whenever something distracts me so I don't have to remember it and I can just write it down and I move on. Now, the second thing, which is a tool that Christians have used for many years, is what the Catholics call a rosary or what Protestants probably just refer to as a prayer bead where you have something in your hand, and especially if you're doing a breath prayer, and every time you say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, you go to the next bead. Now, the science behind that is if your hands are busy, then your mind can slow down. If you use your, like, the nervous, anxious energy in your fingers, then your brain doesn't have it as much, and so your brain can slow down if your hands are doing something. So that's uh, one thing I'd recommend. The second thing is people always wonder, look, how long should I pray? And if you're starting prayer, I'd encourage just set a timer, set it on your phone, put your phone on the other side of the room for five minutes. And just try to allocate five minutes at the same part of your day every day. Say, I'm going to put five minutes of prayer right here. And you pray until the buzzer goes off and it goes off and you stop. And then you do that for a while and eventually you can lengthen that and go five to eight minutes to ten minutes The goal isn't for you to sit down one day a week and pray for an hour. The goal is for this to be a habit, a routine that shapes who you are. And the way that prayer shapes you is when this becomes part of your normal routine. Your routine shapes who you become. And so when we talk about prayer, it's easy to think that you have an expectation you need to live up to. But what you need to hear as you venture into prayer is God's grace for you. 
that in any prayer, God as your heavenly father is for you. A couple days ago, I was praying with my three-year-old Adeline, who still is not very excited about the dog either, which is a complete letdown for me, but that's neither here nor there. And we're praying, and she's praying. She goes, and God, guess what? My room is awesome. Which I don't know if anyone's going to write that one down. But I think even as a three-year-old expressing this basic idea, hey, God, guess what? My room is awesome. God says, that's great, right? Uh, There's a a saying in, in the Christian tradition that says, to reach for God is to find God. Just the simple act of reaching for God in prayer is a way of finding him. Jesus said it this way, all those who knock will have the door open and everyone who seeks will find. When you pray, your connection to God is not contingent upon how poetic your prayers can be or how disciplined you are or your ability to be mentally focused and not be interrupted or distracted. The beauty of prayer is that there is a divine being who created all of this that somehow wants to communicate with you. And it doesn't matter if you're the best prayer in the world or this is overwhelmingly difficult. Somehow, every time you reach, God shows up in that. And so what I want to do now is I'm going to invite Casey to join me up here. And we're going to go through uh, a Lord's Prayer in the same way that I kind of described earlier, where we learn the foundation so that we can riff from it. As any good musician knows, you learn the basics of music so that you can eventually freestyle and do your own thing. I think that's the same way to understand the Lord's Prayer. You learn the foundation so that in turn you can be able to bring in the life and your experiences and your context. And so we're going to walk through the Lord's Prayer, and so I'm going to invite you to become comfortable, find a posture that is comfortable for you. For some of us, it's opening your hands as a position of being receptive to God. Uh, some of us, it's going to be closing your eyes, which I'm going to encourage you to do. Uh, for some, it's leaning over. For some, it's sitting up. Whatever the posture needs to be, I encourage you to close your eyes and to make yourself present to God. That the mystery of a heavenly Father, a Creator who is all-powerful, the King who sits on the throne, but yet He is humble enough and loving enough to be right here in this room with you. Would you tune into that? That in this moment, you are not alone here. That somehow, the God who shows up is wanting to listen to you. You are not alone in this moment. That as a family of believers, our Heavenly Father is for us. He wants to hear us. And so we pray, our Father. Maybe what we need to hear this morning is that we are not alone in this journey. That some of us are tired, we're overwhelmed, and we feel like we can't keep going. But you are not alone. There is an hour to this Father. That we have a family. Or maybe we need to hear that we need to stop living like we're on our own. That we have been selfish. But our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And as we know that there is a heavenly Father who is on our side, let us not be so distracted by our will and our kingdom being built. That so much of what we do is advancing our own causes and advancing our own desires. Let us care more about your will. Your kingdom. 
Show us the ways that we are seeking after my will instead of thy will. So your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Let us be reminded that on this earth things are broken. There's cancer. There's illness. There's divorce. There's depression. But we know there's a place where your will always happens, and that is in heaven. We seek for that to become more like our earth. But as we experience it not being that way on earth, let us remember there is another place. There is heaven. So give us this day our daily bread. For some of us, our daily bread is a job, a career, a break, ability to get out of debt, ability to have a car that keeps working, good enough grade so we can stay in school. We pray for you as our Heavenly Father that you would provide for us our daily bread, enough to get through one more day. And forgive us of our debts. Forgive us of our our trespasses. Forgive us of our sins. The guilt that we bring to you, God, get rid of that in us. May the cross of Jesus be enough to take care of our guilt. Forgive us of our debts. As we forgive our debtors, let us never think that forgiveness is something that just comes to us, but instead let us be something that is a conduit through us. Let us receive forgiveness, but also give it. So God, show us the people that we are harboring bitterness towards, people who have wronged us that we can't get over it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. lead us not to temptation. God, would you give us a way out of the time of trial? Would you not let us be overwhelmed by temptation? But would you show us a way out? For those of us who maybe are in a relationship, that isn't too good. That is leading us down a path. Help us to see a way out. For those of us who are stuck in cycles of addiction, of shame and embarrassment, would you give us a way out? For those of us who feel like the only option is a bad option, would you give us eyes to see another option? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let us remember that there is a forever. That our temporary, our today is not the end of the story, but there is a forever. Let us live out of that.